embarrass you again. Um, for those of you that don't know Josh and Chris, um, Josh is the head teacher of St. John the Baptist, our local junior school, and Chris's lovely wife is the deputy head, is that right? Assistant head of um, Hampton Wick Infants. We have the two of them, two incredibly godly, amazing, passionate Christian people in our local schools, and that is such a privilege. And we love the, all, all that you're doing, and love what God is doing through you. And we love having you in this family. I won't embarrass you anymore. I'll do. Just pray and let me go. <laughs> so we're excited to hear all that you going to bring to us and all that God is going to say to us um, through you this morning, Joshua. Why don't we reach out our hands towards Joshua and I'm just going to pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you have made Joshua to be a man of boldness, a man of courage. Lord, I thank you for where you have planted him and for the many ways in which you are using him. I pray that you would just anoint him afresh now by your power. Thank you that your spirit is upon him, that your spirit is clearly moving and working in his life. And I pray that um, that you would soften our hearts to be ready to receive all that you want to say to us today. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thanks. There you go. What an introduction that is. <laughs> Morning. Um, I, I definitely becoming more of a man of boldness, but boy, do my hands shake when I stand here. This is not my comfort zone in any way. Um, I don't know how you're feeling this morning. I know that there are a lot less gold and, and green shirts than there were in the first service. There, I know there are lots of South Africans who are loving life today, um, but less of you are flaunting it this morning, so thank you for that. Um, but however you're feeling right now, I genuinely think God has something to challenge you with in a big way this morning. So I, I know it's not the most comfortable of seating arrangements anyway, but I don't think you're going to be comfortable in, in the next 20 minutes or so. I, God has been moving quite powerfully this morning, um, and it, it feels very super spiritual, and that is not the way I am. But hey, that is a truth of this morning. So be ready for today. You ready for today? Um, okay, I'm going to start with something I can cope with, which is our kitten. Um, that was taken in the first couple of days of um, our kitten's existence in our family. Um, that is genuinely the best picture we could get. <laughs> so about a month ago, um, Chris and I were looking at um, ads. We, we typed in on Gumtree, cute kittens, the best way to get the best kittens. Um, and this one um, came up and said, timid, seven-week-old girl in need of a loving home. I mean, there's nothing else but to respond. We're looking for two ginger cats, and we end up with a white one with random black bits. Um, but we went to view her, and it was really challenging to do that because um, she spent the entire time under the spare bed of the house that we, were, um, we went to visit her um, at. And we knew that she'd had a tough start to life. She'd been taken from her mum much too early. She'd been terrorized by the cat that this family had. Um, and so we rescued her, for want of a better word. And then she came to our house and spent the entire time under the dresser, behind the sofa, or in this case, under the coffee table in the lounge. Very messy lounge. I'm quite mindful that there's like all sorts of junk around. Whatever. You get the picture. Um, so we took her to the vet, as you do, with a new um, pet. And she had worms and fleas. We knew she had fleas. It was quite obvious. Um, but she also had cat flu, um, which is a really a serious thing for a kitten. Um, but more powerfully than that, uh, more surprising, maybe, was that she wasn't a seven-week-old girl at all. She was a ten-week-old boy kitten. <laughs> I mean, what the heck? So that took some adjusting to. 
um, over those few days afterwards. I almost blamed him for not being a girl. But, um, and it's not his gender confusion that I want to talk to you about. Um, I'm talking about Milo, as he is appropriately called now. He was Lola for the first few days of his life. It never quite sat right. Um, but it's his transformation. Because this is Milo now, Ellen, if you would be so kind. Um, it's not right now, I'm not there anymore. But um, Milo spends his entire time just following us around and lying on us at every possible opportunity. And we're both teachers, so in the evenings we do a lot of lying around and generally trying to get some energy back. Uh, and he is always there. And the change in, in the environment for him has transformed him. And I, this morning I want to suggest that we are called as a church to bring a different environment to the world around us, to bring a different culture. Uh, and Jesus, when he called his disciples, he said this to them, the kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. That was a surprising um, culture that he was bringing. He was different to what the people were expecting. Um, and his culture was different to the culture then. And it was the culture he, um, he expected the disciples to take on and empowered the disciples with. And it's the same culture that we're called to bring in our workplaces, in our places of influence um, this morning, this week, um, in the months and years ahead. So... I don't think it's going to be a comfortable journey, but I think it's going to be a brilliant one. So we're going to talk through, um, we're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Uh, if you have one of the church Bibles, it's page 100, sorry, 1,161 for about five words. Then it's page 1,162 for the entire rest of it. Um, but just listen um, otherwise and just be ready to receive um, from God um, whatever it is that he, he wants to, to challenge you with today or to bless you with today. Um, as we read. For Christ's, we're starting at verse 14. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who, should, who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That is a big passage. And I feel massively privileged and hugely challenged to um, speak on it this morning, especially as I do not do speaking on things. I don't know how to refer to notes and look at you and talk and not wilt. So we're going to go with it. So to unpick um, uh, this morning, we're going to just, I just want to do a mini summary of the series so far. So this is uh, the last in our five-part Scattered Servants series. Um, and Anna kicked it off a, about a month ago, and um, she said that we were made for a mission, uh, and we were called to immeasurably more. 
Lewis then told us to go, um, and to go into the world around us because we have a story to tell, which we've just sang about so powerfully. And you stand at the front, the, the, the power of, the, of singing. I'm normally, normally hidden at the back. That is my only comfort zone. Um, we, we are called to go because we have a story to tell and that we have the spirit within us. Giles, the very confident and outgoing Giles who moonwalked, you may remember, across this very stage. It will not get that from the introvert that is me. Um, he talked about a coin and said that um, it's about being available, but also vulnerable to the people around us. And then last week, Jerry challenged us to go and take a risk as we step out, as we remember what Jesus did for us and who we are because of what he did. So we're made for a mission. We're told to go, to take risks, to be available and vulnerable. And to finish this series this morning, um, I want to challenge us that we need to be intentional. Just that's it. We need to be intentional, intentional about bringing God's kingdom culture to the world around us. So to unpick it, I want to think a little bit about what our culture is. I want to um, think about where that world is around us. Um, And then um, the key bit for me is how. And if I don't mention it before I go, I want to tell you about a book. And this morning I forgot in the first service to mention it. So like, just like point at me or say something, because that is something that's made a massive difference to me in the how we can do that successfully. Uh, But first I want us to start with why. Um, People who know me, especially in school, know that um, Simon Sinek did a talk um, all about starts with why, and everything we do should start with our reason for doing it. If you don't understand why you have to do something, you either don't bother or you don't really stick at it very well. So I want us to start with why. Um, Why is it that we should be intentional? Um, And very simply, because Jesus did. He was intentional. He Um, I want to actually read from Matthew uh, chapter 9. This is just before he called his disciples. It says about Jesus. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus was intentional about taking this different culture, taking this culture of hope and life to the helpless and the hopeless, to the sheep without a shepherd. And it stems from his compassion. His compassion led him to transform the lives of the people around him. Those disciples were mediocre people, weren't they? Even after they met him, they were still pretty rubbish. But so also, think of the number of ways in which he, the ones that are recorded that we hear about, the feeding of the 5,000 or the the healing of the woman just by touching his cloak. But he was intentional about bringing a supernatural um, power and a different way of thinking, a different culture to the lives of the people around him because he was so compassionate for their hopeless and helplessness. That compassion that ultimately led him to the cross. In 1 John 3.16, it says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And it goes on to say, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. In the passage we just read, it says, Christ's love compels us that we, in verse 15, should not live for ourselves, but for him who died for us. Christ's love compels us. That's our why. 
because Christ's love compels us. The love that he showed to people, we follow his example, but much more, the love that he displayed in going to Calvary on our behalf. Why, do we, why are we intentional? Why do we need to do more than just sing so beautifully and powerfully? Why do we need to, to go? Well, we need to go with in, intentionally because his love compels us. The love that took him to the cross. The love that means that no matter what has gone before, no matter what this morning was, the arguments in your house or the, the shouting at the traffic or whatever has gone before, when God sees us, he sees Jesus. When he looks at you, he sees Jesus. That is not our doing. It's not because we try hard or we will it to be. We generally fail, I don't know about you, when you just try at something, come on. We've got like a little rowing machine in our house. Oh boy, how many months have I been saying I should probably go on that? It's not about just trying hard, is it? It's about knowing our why. Why do we do it? What's the thing that so comes from within? It's the response to Christ's love for us. And I mentioned the disciples. They were mediocre. How, how are you today? I imagine you're feeling um, fairly mediocre if you're a rugby fan. <laughs> fairly cheesed off, maybe a bit disgruntled. I'm not usually a rugby fan very often, but I really, I've really enjoyed this World Cup. But just generally, do you feel like you're on it? Do you feel just a little bit kind of down or a bit under pressure or stressed? Like we sang about his ways are perfect. Do you feel that right now? I know that for me, a lot of the time, I do not feel like that. I'm a head teacher who dreads Mondays. Well, what's that about? And yeah, I passionately care about this, the children in my school. So however we're feeling, we know that he chose the disciples who were mediocre. Peter, we, talk, we learned about him last week, walked on water and then sank because he lost faith, needing Jesus to pull him out. That same Peter who denied Jesus again and again. The disciples were not perfect, and yet they were given the, uh, the challenge the mission of taking kingdom culture to the, uh, the world around them. And they did it pretty well, didn't they? Look at us today. But they didn't do it off their own back. They did it at Pentecost where the Spirit came on them and they were powerfully transformed. It is in, uh, in the transformation of the Spirit within us that makes the world of difference. So it's this that motivates us. It's the knowledge that Jesus came that his love took him to the cross on our behalf, uh, and that we have a story to tell, as Lewis said just a few weeks back. So if that's our why, I just want to think about what the culture is of the world today. And we've obviously, Brexit is, a, is a, like a beast on the, in the headlines every day. But there's just this thing about power at the moment, isn't there? What, what are people willing to do for the sake of um, getting one up on other people, maybe? Is it a thirst for power that our culture is defined by? Is it this need for material possessions? I don't know if you're aware, but teal is really in at the moment. The colour teal. I'm, I've spent a lot of time looking for teal armchairs. That's what been my half term. I really want a teal armchair in our house. How ridiculous is that? And yet, that's my culture in my life in the, at half term, it would seem. So what is it that our culture is defined by? Well, um, one of my favorite preachers isn't actually in this church, although I do love them very much. Um, the American pastor, C.J. Mahaney, recently spoke about um, culture, and he suggested that it's, um, our culture is a lack of trustworthiness. 
Um, so just think about some of the words we say in the everyday. One of my favorites is awesome. I literally use it all the time. What do we really mean when we say awesome to people? Awesome. Probably only like, yeah, that's mildly okay. That's relatively good. Similarly with amazing or great. Like great never means great, does it? What about superlatives like for sure, definitely? It's usually about a probably or a maybe, I reckon, Mia. Or the one that we've probably heard a few times, let's keep in touch. Well, you know when you've heard let's keep in touch, they usually mean something much more like it's been nice seeing you, but I probably won't encounter you again for a while. Our culture is, it could be defined in a whole load of ways, but it is not the culture that we're called to bring to the people around us. In schools, um, well, as a head teacher, you have a whole heap of absence requests from people who try and make the most of the cheaper flights and the other things that happen. And as a head teacher, I have to sign off on all of them. And pa- any parents here will know you generally don't get uh, authorized. There are very few exceptional circumstances. As lots of people tell us, teachers get enough holidays, right? We don't need any more time off, um, off teaching um, or being in school for children. Um, last year, I um, got an email from a parent who said, uh, my child's uh, really ill. Um, we've gone to the doctor. They won't be back this week. And when they returned the following week, um, the child was kind enough to bring me this lovely souvenir pen with the word Croatia inscribed within it. <laughs> what is it that causes us to have to lie to get around an inconvenience? But that is the culture that we live in. And what is the culture that you're living in in the everyday? What is it, whether it's in your workplace, in your home, in your coffees with fellow lovely people who don't necessarily, whatever it might be that you do. I don't know what it is. I almost said something wild about people who have enjoy lovely coffee mornings. Um, I'm sure they're very important. I'm very happy for you. Um, what is the culture in those? Is it that kind of social media comparison? My life's so great. Check out this picture. Just don't worry about the other 49 of the, of the children swearing at each other. Um, what, what is it that that's the culture in your places of work or your places of influence? Because in schools, it's pretty broken. It's, I've been ahead for a little over a year. Um, it feels like a lifetime. Um, but in, in heads meetings, of which we have many, many meetings, um, there are two words you hear all the time, Ofsted and Sats. As a school, you are judged by Ofsted, and therefore everything you do should be to impress Ofsted at every possible turn, no matter what that does to the staff and their well-being. And your Sats results are a key part of that. And so, everything you do in the school day needs to enable you to get the best possible SATS results. Sack off the curriculum um, and wider opportunities. Don't do all those things. It's all about getting those 10 and 11-year-olds, who, by the way, are the most important ones in the school, who needs the 7-year-olds. Let's put all our TAs in year 6. But um, let's, let's test, prep them for the test, because the test is what we're judged on. No matter what brokenness we've put on them because of the pressure, that's the culture in schools, and that's what head teachers talk about left, right, and center. But the kingdom culture is that we are not called to follow the trend, but to set the standard. We're not called to follow the trend, but to set the standard. And for me, my absolute heart is that children would have the best start to life. That the children and the staff in my care would live life in all its fullness. Why? Because it needs to start with why. Why? Because Jesus loves them and died for them. 
and because they deserve the opportunity for life in all its fullness, which I believe comes from knowing um, our loving Savior. And that impacts the way I go about doing school. Um, in the summer, you might remember, if you were here over the summer, we did an Unlikely Heroes sermon theme, and um, I stole it for our assemblies, as I generally do. I have no idea. I just steal the things from church. Uh, so we've been doing Unlikely he- Heroes theme, and um, we've been looking at people like Martin Luther King and Mother Teresa and even George Cadbury, people who, whose faith made a difference to the world around them. And I am an unlikely head teacher. I don't much look like a head teacher. But more than that, I I don't deal well with these moments. I don't like standing in front of people. Yeah, I chose to stand here. How random. I I don't enjoy standing in an assembly in front of a whole group of people. It just makes me break out in sweat. I wear white shirts every time I do an assembly. It's the best color, by the way, in case anyone's ever needing to know how to cover up. But not only do I have massive social anxiety for someone who is constantly talking with people, but I have, I've discovered in the last few years, I have a heart condition that's made worse by stress. I mean, go figure as a head teacher, what the heck am I doing, right? But God is moving in our school, despite the unlikelihood of me being there and leading it. I want to just give you a couple of examples. Um, and I talked about this in the first service, despite not asking this person's permission, and now I have, and I still can. But this time last year, we were asked to take part in the remembrance service. Um, and you may remember lots of lovely, smart-looking children on the stage um, Jerry asked me, and I, the answer was yes, even though Ofsted wouldn't care, and our SATS results may actually be negatively impacted by giving time to preparing to lead a service. But it mattered, because it meant that some children who wouldn't have been here otherwise, and their families who wouldn't have been here otherwise, got to come and be part of this. And in doing so, one of the parents who came to watch his daughter then went to Alpha, gave his life to Jesus, and is an amazing man. His name's Robert. And we all know Robert because he, oh my goodness, is he an ambassador for Christ? We're called to not follow the trend, but set the standard. One other example, and this one got me absolutely in bits earlier, so I'm going to try and hold it together. Um, one of my colleagues used to be a big churchgoer, massively, massively changed that path in life, and hadn't been for many, many years. And this past year, I mean, I'm fairly open about my faith in school. Um, I start meetings with prayers and thoughts, and that is unheard of. And, but they, people are okay with it. Be surprised how okay people are with things when you do it. Um, and so my, my colleague um, over the year has been saying, I know you pray for me. I know you've got a hotline. Because things, are, things keep happening. Little coincidences keep happening that, I, that would, wouldn't happen otherwise. And just a month ago, she went back to church for the first time. And here I go again. (laughs) About two weeks before her mother died. And in, in the time since, I've texted her a few times, and she said, you wouldn't believe the timing of that text. I text her about 10 minutes after her mother died, randomly. Um, And other moments have happened. She has said in the time since that God is being faithful to us. We're called to set the standard and to bring kingdom culture, no matter what the cost or how awkward it feels. And oh boy, does it feel awkward sometimes when you're a 33-year-old head standing in front of 70 other heads saying, we just had Ofsted, but I don't care. This is what my passion is. And then they're really excited by it, even though for the last 30 or 40 years, all they've talked about is Ofsted. We're called to not follow the trend, but to set the standard. And I I want to just read um, a, a quote from the Scattered Servants book. 
The dream of God over your life is not that you become a believer and help out the local church. The dream of God over your life is that you come alive in his presence and bring life to every environment, spilling contagious hope into hurting humanity. That's the dream of God over your life. Not to show up and sing well, but boy, do you sing well. It's to take that hope that you have and take it to the hopeless. So obviously, as a head, that is in school for me. I don't have much of a commute. It's down the road, which is a dream. But it might be for you that it is in your workplace or on your commute or if you do stuff out in the streets or whatever it might be. But I think for lots of us, it has to start in our homes. So Milo is, um, has been transformed by the, the different environment in his life. He's gone from being an under-the-sofa cat to being a lying-on-us cat. How much more should our spouse or our children experience that kingdom culture? Um, if, I'm, if I'm an unlikely head, I'm an even more unlikely dad. Uh, at 21, I got married, as you do as a Christian, like rush into the whole thing. Within 19, well, 19 months later, I ran away um, after a pretty abusive and traumatic marriage. Since found out that I can't have children. And I was a pretty broken man at that point in life, um, not knowing really who I was or definitely not who God was. I wouldn't um, go to church. I wouldn't even, I couldn't even contemplate prayer. But 10 years on, I get to be married to a pretty awesome worship leader and just woman. And I have three boys, three stepsons that I'm so proud to call my own, one of whom drums really well too. Don't know where he is. He's definitely hiding. <laughs> God has, is, has grace for the broken. He has compassion for you in your brokenness. As a, a dad now and a husband even though it felt like that marriage was a thing I would never contemplate again. I'm called to bring a kingdom culture to my family, to love beyond limits. Tom massively challenged us in the summer. I don't know if you were there for the Uber story, um, where his parents had forgiven his brother's enormous debt. But we're called to show um, generosity and not to call in debts. And our son had a fairly big debt at that point. That was a nice challenge directly to us. We're called to love beyond limits, to forgive rather than to shout at when they come in late and make a massive mess. And you just left it nice and tidy before you went to bed the night before. So our kingdom culture is not just in our workplaces or in our commutes. I really believe it is in our families. And I'm sure there are people for whom you would love for God to impact that in your families this morning. But I want to just finish with how. So we're called to be intentional. We've thought about why. I want us to think about how, because without the how, it's just on our kind of, yeah, we can do it. So we leave church. Okay, I'm going to go and be intentional, and then the world hits us. So unless there's a how, and a very real, tangible one, we just can't do this. We can't bring kingdom culture to the world around us. Um, and my how is the most preposterously obvious one. It's a terrible cliche, but I promise you, even a few months ago, it would have been the last thing as my suggestion of how we go about doing it. And that is prayer. 
Jesus prayed before he performed miracles. He thanked God for the food with five loaves and two fish. Are you kidding? He prayed before he went to the cross in the Garden of Gethsemane. We pray because Jesus showed us that that's the thing to do, but much more because he is the one with the power to do it. He's the one who allows us to be confident enough to stand on a stage rather than wilt as we most naturally would. He's the one that gives us the confidence to be bold in those conversations. And he shows up. I want to just give one other example. Um, I'm finding it really tough to life in all its fullness, which is our school vision now, versus challenging poor performance and having high expectations of members of staff. They don't, they, I've really found that a difficult thing to add up. Um, and, but this term I felt really challenged that actually life in all its fullness means being brilliant. And that doesn't work if we're not being brilliant. So I, I took a leap and, and organized a meeting with one of my colleagues who I needed to challenge fairly significantly. I don't challenge. It was like the biggest, most nerve-wracking thing, probably in line with, with preaching. And so before it, I went to a storage room at the top corner of our school and prayed. And I didn't really know what to say, so I said the Lord's Prayer. And then 45 minutes passed, and I felt I, I gave my anxieties, of which I forever seem to hold too many. I gave my anxieties, I gave the meeting to God. And on my way down, I did feel so much more at peace. But one of my colleagues, who's a Christian, um, randomly stopped me in the corridor. Um, that colleague should have been teaching a class at that point, so I don't quite know how that happened. Um, I'll deal with that. I had forgotten to challenge that one. Um, but they said, how are you? As people do, morning, how are you? Do you know how easy it is to say, fine, thanks? That's our culture, isn't it? Yeah, fine, thanks. And off I go to the meeting. I'll be on time. I didn't. I said, do you know what? Do you mind just praying for me? And as children walk past, I'm standing there like this, and that colleague is praying for me. And I go to that meeting, and in, in the six weeks since, that, co that colleague has been unbelievable at their job. And in that meeting was unbelievably um, receptive. And it was like a proper two-way conversation. I thought it would be never possible. We're not called call to follow the, the trend, but to set the standard. And when we are bold in being intentional about about sharing our faith, about, yes, I actually do need prayer right now. He shows up. So, I don't know how you are feeling this morning. I know a few people are crying, and I'm really sorry. It's just <laughs> the way it is. But Jesus died. He came while we were still sinners to die for the ungodly. You don't have to be right or fixed. I'm not great at my job yet, but I give it a good shot. I'm not the best dad in the world. I'm a pretty lazy oink sometimes, but I give it a good shot. We're not called to be, to wait till we're perfect. We're called to do it now. And it's God's grace in my brokenness that has inspired me to want to bring God's kingdom culture to, to my school and the children and the, the staff in my school, to, to my boys and my wife. So it's not that we should hide from the world around us or wait till we're right and, have, and, and perfect. We're called to go, bring God's kingdom culture now and to be intentional about doing it. 
both following the example of Jesus and in light of what Jesus has done for us. We are called to be Christ's ambassadors. I still forgot to tell you about the book. Um, so I do believe that we have to understand how we do things and, and be more than just, yay, okay, I now feel quite emotional. I'm going to go and, and show God's kingdom culture. I, I would implore you, to, um, before you leave, to go on Amazon and buy How to Pray by Pete, insert surname here. It might be Greg, Grieg, Greig. What, I mean, what's he doing with a spelling like that? But this, for me, is like the idiot's guide to how to pray. And it is the thing that makes the world of difference. Because in praying, we are asking God to give us that same compassion that took him to the cross, that took him to the people around him. So if you don't really get it, and prayer sounds a bit abstract to you, um, I couldn't recommend this book highly enough. Um, I'd love to invite you to stand this morning again. You may be in a point of feeling insecure or ashamed or there's something stopping you from being able to pray. God looks at you and sees Jesus. You may not massively care yet. Only through, through seeking God will you find the compassion for the people around you that um, took Jesus to the cross, that, that will take you to amazing places and will give you the boldness to go and seek him. So um, Anna's going to lead us in a response, but um, I would suggest a brilliantly bold step would just be to come and receive. So um, as Anna comes and leads us in a response, do come forward if, if you want to just take a, a moment to be nurtured.